Please stand for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 1. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, dear friends. Let's pray together. Oh God, our Savior, with these words of Mary ringing in our ears, may we imagine a way of life where eyes are open to your work. Please today, O oh God, bless us as you blessed Mary. Pour through me now the gift of preaching. In Jesus we pray and we all say, Amen. Well, first, thanks to... Jeff and Michael and everyone else that put in all the work to prepare for this morning. What a great job, and thanks especially to the children who participated. It was such a great blessing to us all. Don't you love that tender moment when two pregnant women first get together and bless each other? share their joy, talk about swollen ankles and sore backs, and then go on to plot the overthrow of every earthly authority. <laughs> this song may not be what you think it is. This poor, pregnant, teenage girl in an occupied country about to be a refugee belts out these words that are electric with the language of the prayer of Hannah and Samuel and the words of prophecy and the words of Psalms in the Old Testament. It comes flowing from her. And the response we want above all else is not the praise of Mary, though we could take note 
of Mary's virtue here and her willingness to receive the surprising news. Maybe not everybody would have been as open to it. I love the words of Carol Penner, a Mennonite pastor who rather tongue-in-cheek said she's afraid her response would have been, Dear God, thank you, thank you for the invitation you so kindly extended, inviting me to become pregnant with the Prince of Peace. What an honor to be asked, and I'm so grateful for your confidence in me. The world needs a Savior, and it's to your credit that you have remembered your promises. I totally support your endeavors in this regard. (laughs) Circumstances being what they are, however, I feel constrained to urge you to continue your search. While I'm personally enthusiastic about this project, I know my parents would definitely caution me against overextending myself (laughs) and taking on too much. I can think of several women in my acquaintance who are better suited for this task. I'd be happy to forward their names to you. And if I can be entirely candid with you, the long and the short of it is the next few years are very full for me with my upcoming marriage to Joseph, establishing our new home together, the rumor of a census. I just really don't know how I would do justice to the task of raising a newborn king given my busy schedule and our uncertain travel plans. (laughs) I'm sure you understand. Please accept my apologies. Thank you again for the offer. Please give my kindest regards to the angel Gabriel It was such a pleasure meeting him. All the best in your godly work. I remain your humble servant, Mary. We could and should talk about Mary. But honestly, the Hail Mary we're familiar with is not Hail Mary full of virtue. It's Hail Mary full of grace. Not ultimately a Mary story then, though she's vital to the role and a model for many. But what's made note of with Mary is she's the recipient of the blessing of God, the Savior. She's been blessed. Now, it's a blessing that as the gospel of Luke unfolds may not always feel like a blessing, but it is nevertheless. To bear the one who brings the salvation of God. And so, this is a song about God. God is the subject of all these verbs. God performs, God scatters, God brings down, God raises up. It's, she's singing the good news of what God in Jesus Christ is doing. It's a revolutionary hymn. Now, we all know at Christmas time there are a lot of songs out there, and not all of them are revolutionary. Many of them just fun. For example, you know who likes Christmas? Mariah Carey. She loves Christmas. She makes $2.6 million every Christmas without having to open her mouth because of one song. And she has an extremely modest wish list. All she wants, oh, never mind, you know. 
But some of them, and we just sang one, didn't we? Oh, holy night, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. I have a friend who was raised in the Church of Christ in a congregation in Colorado. She describes herself as not the ideal youth group kid. It led her away, and she went into kind of a dark world of alcoholism, suicidal thoughts, tried her life in comedy. But lo and behold, she was blessed. God entered her life, stirred her soul. She became a leader in another denomination. And one day, this Lutheran pastor decided to go back to the church of her upbringing with her parents. And she was sad because it was Christmas time. And when she was growing up, there was no recognition of Christmas. And she looked on the program, and at the end of the service, it said they were singing the Magnificat. And she was just bubbling with excitement. The church where she grew up was going to sing the Magnificat. She waited and waited and waited, and it got there. And it's, it's the one we sing, a song I love. My soul magnifies the Lord. And at the end, she's like, that's not the Magnificat. Now, I love the song. I'm close friends with the songwriter. There is not one thing wrong with the song, and I love singing it. It's just misnamed. It should be called the first line of the Magnificat. (laughs) It's the part suburban Christians like to sing. You dig down a little bit, and it becomes revolutionary. Bonhoeffer called it the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. There's got to be a reason that at times in history, the governments of India... And Guatemala and Argentina banned the recitation of it in the churches in their country. Because if you're one of those in charge, do you really want to hear the believers reciting words about the overthrow of all rulers? Everything is upended. Luke gives us these keystones here. We know where we are. Chapter 1 and verse 5, we know it's during the time of Herod the Great. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, we know it's when the ruler of all was Caesar Augustus. That's not his name. That's Caesar the Magnificent One, Caesar the Great. Herod the Great, Caesar the Great. And it looks like everything is in their hands. And this peasant girl sings Well, we could probably debate for a long time what the greatest non-comedy series ever on TV was. But once we realize it's Breaking Bad, then we could agree that without a doubt, the greatest episode of Breaking Bad, still the number one rated show on IMDb, 10 out of 10, was the third to last episode 
where this chemistry teacher turned meth producer turned monster sees everything unravel. He can't save the life of his brother-in-law. Sorry, spoiler alert, but it's on you at this point, really. <laughs> he can't keep his son from knowing. He, he can't do anything. His world is collapsing. And the name of the episode is Ozymandias. Because they went back to this phenomenal poem by Percy Shelley in which a statue of Ramses II, Ramses the Great, perhaps the Pharaoh of the Exodus, had been unearthed. And his other name was Ozymandias. And so the poem says, a traveler told me about this statue, and it turns out everything in the statue has been torn apart except for the pedestal. You can still see the engraved words at the bottom. It said, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. But it's almost a parody because everything else was crumbled and, and there's an angle in this song to say that the truth of Ozymandias is, is out there all the time. And it's not just the dumb luck of history. It's the work of God in this world. God's setting things right. God takes broken things and brings them together. He brings his salvation. The rich are brought down. The humble are brought up. All of those who rule over people are humbled and the humble are raised up. What is the Magnificat? Two things. First of all, it's an overture. It's that opening prelude in this musical of Luke and really Luke Acts. If you want to know the themes that are going to come later in the gospel and in the book of Acts written by Luke, then all you have to do is listen carefully to Mary because she's going to sing about all of the reversals. And it'll get us ready for the first words out of Jesus' mouth at his first sermon in his hometown synagogue when he opens Isaiah 61 and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he talks about preaching good news to the poor and the downtrodden and the prisoners. Everything's topsy-turvy. It prepares us for the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, where you hear not the familiar, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You hear, blessed are the poor, but woe are you who are rich. The jarring words of everything turning upside down as God exalts and God humbles it prepares you for all of the stories of finding out that the one true neighbor was a Samaritan. Of finding out that it was not the rich man, it was Lazarus who was comforted in the bosom of Abraham. Of discovering in Luke 21 that it wasn't all of the people with overflowing gifts at the altar that is praised, but this, this simple good of gift of two small coins by a woman that grabs Jesus' attention. It's an overture. 
And, and part of what I want to ask when I read the Magnificat is, when are we talking about, has that already happened, or is, is that future? Because it's, it's mostly placed in the past tense. But here's a truth I learned from Barbara Brown Taylor. The prophets are notoriously bad with verb tenses. <laughs> because they're stepping over into God's world. And what you described as past may well be future in some ways. And, and what you think is the future may already be breaking into this moment. And so it's speaking, drawing us into a world where in Jesus Christ, God is setting all things right. God, the Savior of his people. To Mary, for sure, and then booking it at the end, the people that Mary comes from, Israel, and then in between, all of the people among whom God is working. It's an overture, but it's also, catch this, it's a script. It's scripture, it's the word of God. It's a script for us this morning. And there, there are a lot of scripts out there to, to grab a hold of at Christmas time. Goodness, aren't there? You, your script can be your Amazon wish list. It can be all the packages under the tree, and it can be on and on you can go as, as we are... Some try to define us economically, define us by class, define us on and on. And yet, here's another script. It's the script that says, beyond all of the ways we are blitzed by our culture, one can live into the story that Mary embraced. One can receive that world, that vision. And keep one's eyes open for God. Move with him. Yield to him. Participate in his healing, saving work in the world. Things get upside down. It's 30 years ago. I uh, was preaching the story of the woman with the two coins, I think it was actually out of Mark, about God taking these simple gifts and multiplying them. And right over here, someplace, was a cognitively and socially disabled teenage girl. And several of us around her saw when the collection tray came around that she was looking furiously for something to put in the tray. Nothing in the purse, nothing in the pocketbook, nothing in her pockets. And so she reached onto her wrist and she popped that off. And I don't mean one like that, I mean that. Which, for those of you who know me and know how I can't keep track of anything, this is like remarkable. <laughs> 30 years. Afterwards, somebody brought it to me and said, you may want to give it back to her. It's not worth anything. And I thought, oh, I bet you're wrong. So, I was just 
trying to figure it out in 1993. I showed it for the first time at the Preston Road Church of Christ in Dallas. I was speaking at a worship conference. There was a young worship minister there named uh, Jeff Nelson. <laughs> and um, I told that story, held it up, came back home. A few days later, an envelope came in the mail. It had two crisp $100 bills in it. And somebody said, I was touched by that gift. I want to buy it. But you keep it. Keep telling that story. And just use these for someone who needs it. So I went over to Bill Nash's office and said, we got to give these to somebody. And we did. And I kept showing it through the years and telling that story then. This is now worth thousands of dollars, I've got to tell you. There's been a lot of money given that we've had to turn around and give away. And by the way, it's for sale this morning. <laughs> but you can't have it. Just put it in the restoration offering. Remembering that 30 years ago, somebody decided to live into this script. She dropped what she probably thought was real gold into the tray. God brings down the mighty, but he raises up the humble. And I thought of it this weekend. I, uh, yesterday, was at a funeral in Los Angeles for my dear friend and co-worker, Joella Michael, born in Rhodesia to missionary parents, raised here in Abilene, graduated from ACU, mother of three, died at the age of 49. For the last 10 years, my dear friend and co-worker, amazing servant of God. But it's a funny thing because, well, She's not going to have her obituary in the New York Times. The deep resonances of faith in her. The way she leaned into the Psalms near the end of her life. The way she emailed all of us in the church relations office and said, okay, I just found out we're down to weeks. I'm, I'm done. I'm here if you need anything emergency, but I'm pouring the rest of my time into my girls. I think the last thing she wrote, her husband did a blog the last five years of her life. And uh, I remember 2017 lectureship. She told me, I, f I feel something, but I'm going to wait till after lectures to have it checked. And that was it. But a few weeks ago, she wrote, My time is now measured in months and weeks. And so at 49 years old, I'm planning my funeral. How's that for a conversation you need to have with your parents, sister, nieces, and daughters? I have no lavish bucket lists or wild adventures. This life has been my adventure. My bucket list is now treasured moments with family, precious friends, reminiscing and sharing life. It also includes discussions with our girls 
which they've managed with grit and resilience regarding death, cremation, funeral songs, notifications to schools, staying close to each other, and to live life to the fullest. So as I think through my goodbyes, I'm also aware of the hellos to come. Seeing the glory of a God who loves me so much that he's preparing a place for me. Visiting with his son who took my sins to the cross. Meeting my favorite person from the Bible, Moses. Hugging on my precious grandmothers whose remarkable faith and strength remains examples for me. And seeing my brother again, hearing his hearty laugh fill the air. That is a welcome home party I can look forward to. That's remarkable. We sit in awe before words like that. But it's also in the long line of the generations of believers who've lived into the script. They don't let culture write the script. They step into Mary's song and realize that God is the author of all of this. He's the bringer of salvation. That death doesn't have the final word. Luke's going to go on and acts will spring forth from the belief that this child in her womb will be raised from the dead and is alive today. I think it goes, yonder breaks the new and glorious morn. Amen. Let's stand together. And with those who are on the prayer team, please come to the front. I have to tell you, Shane, I was, uh, I was nervous about our little Jesse tree that first week. It looked, pretty, it looked like a Charlie Brown tree, I thought. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think of Lucy saying, Charlie, get a good tree! And of course he didn't. It was threadbare. And yet Linus got up and told the story of Christmas. And after that, all the bickering stopped. And with the story of Christmas in their ears, they all gathered around the tree, and it was transformed. And so I I love our Jesse tree today. A reminder of those who came from the stump of Jesse. Of all those descendants leading even up here to Mary, And if I can push past that, thanks to the Apostle Paul, to all of us who have been grafted in to that tree. So, dear friends, how lovely are the branches. Go in peace. Amen.